Greetings, church. We thank you so much for tuning in today, and especially if it's your first time, thank you so much for being a virtual guest at the NDCC Online Worship Experience. We're so excited to get into the Word. As a matter of fact, if you're ready for a word, I want you to type in the comments, I'm ready. Type, I'm ready in the comments. We are so excited about what God is continuing to do here at New Dimensions and how God is continuing to increase us and advance us, even in a time of quarantine, in a global pandemic. And I'm excited to get into the word. But before we can get into the word, I really want us to center ourselves and calm our souls and our hearts and pray and invite God's presence in uh, to this place, maybe your living room or wherever you're watching the service. So wherever you are, would you lift your hands with me? Would you bow your head? Father God, we ask right now that you come down and you communicate your truth to us in a way that catches our attention, in a way that maybe catches us off guard. God, we want to be deeply disturbed, deeply moved, deeply curious. We want to realize that we are deeply loved in you. Father, we thank you for what your word says. We thank you for your people, God. There are people who are hurting, going through things, difficulties. I pray that you would be the meter of every need right now. God, that you would come in and that you would handle situations, that you would be the one who corrects problems. God, may we believe and trust in you. God, there can't be a fire in anyone's place if there is an iceberg behind the pulpit. So God, would you light me on fire that I may burn for you, burn for your truth, burn for your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. Oh, Lord, my God, my strength in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. We're going to talk about a familiar passage of Scripture that I think is something God wants to communicate to us today. And before quarantine, you know, when we would go to the movies, that was one of our favorite activities and times. I love going to the movies, and I know many of you do as well. And if that's you, I want you to put a hand up in the comments. I love going to the movie theater. And going to the movie theater is fun for numerous reasons. But when we go to the movie theater, the, the main thing that we go to do, of course, is to watch a movie. And the types of movies that we watch has been so interesting. It's been so interesting for me over the past few years to kind of do a little bit of inventory about the types of movies that I like to watch. And, you know, there's a few genres that were very popular. They're very, um, you know, blockbuster. You get a lot of money, you know, for action and for dramas and for comedies, maybe even period pieces and biopics. But there's one genre of film that I think is underappreciated. And over the past few years, I've really leaned into this genre because I'm learning so much from it. And that genre, if you're ready, is foreign language films. Now, I know what you're thinking. How in the world are you going to like foreign language films? Well, listen, I believe it's so helpful, especially in the time of, of divisiveness and everything that we're going through, to actually sit down and hear stories told from different perspectives, to hear stories told from different cultures. And I've really enjoyed it, even being able to read the subtitles. Because if we're honest with ourselves, when we have smartphones and cell phones and all kinds of screens, especially when we're at home, there's so many things that can distract us, right? There's so many things that we can look at instead of watching the film because, of course, we hear what they're saying. And, and you know, as I've talked about, as I've looked into foreign language films, I, I remember seeing Parasite last year, which was the Best Picture Oscar winner. I enjoyed that so much. I remember all these different films that I've started to enjoy and consume. And there's one film, though, that a few years ago I stumbled upon. It really stood out from the rest. It's one of my favorite films, and it's a film called 13 Assassins. It's a Japanese samurai film, and as you can probably assess and guess just from the title, it is an action movie. It is very violent. 
and I really enjoyed this film because it really tells an inspiring story. It was actually a remake of a movie that was made by the same name many years ago. And it tells the story of an evil ruler. And this evil ruler is carrying out oppressive tactics. He's carrying out terror against his citizens. And he is supposed to be one of honor. He is supposed to be leading them well, but instead of leading them well, he's terrorizing them. He's raping women. He's dismembering children. He's doing all kinds of things that we would look at aghast. And he has invalidated himself as the leader of a movement, as the leader of a country or a province. And so a samurai is hired, and this samurai is hired to go and confront this prince, to confront this ruler. And he says, I'll do it. Now, you know that if he doesn't, if he confronts the ruler, confronts the prince, and the prince does not accept the confrontation, then that will be a physical, violent confrontation. And the prince has 70 armed guards around him. So they hire this samurai. They say, you have to get a troop of people who are willing to go into a dangerous situation and willing to be outnumbered, willing to perhaps take a suicide mission and to stand up for righteousness and justice. And so the samurai says, even though I know I probably won't come back from this, I will still do it. So he goes out and he grabs some men. He grabs some samurai. And it, it's not called the 13 samurai. It's called the 13 assassins because some of the people who he brings alongside of him are not samurai. They're not the people who you would expect. They're not the people maybe you would even pick. And I'm not going to ruin it for you. I'll just say that when they arrive at the confrontation with the prince, they realize that he doesn't have 70 armed guards. He actually reinforced his forces and now he has 200. So now it's 200 versus 13 brave assassins. And so again, I'm not going to ruin it for you, but what is clear from this is when they were standing up for righteousness and justice, when they were standing up for what was right, when they were standing up for the marginalized, when they were standing up to the people of power, they were outnumbered. They were at a numbers disadvantage. Now we've been in this series called Views. And the title, the subtitle of the series is God-Sized Perspective for Human-Sized Problems. God-sized perspective for human-sized problems. So we talked about the human-sized problem of the fact last week that I missed my moment, remember? And what's the God-sized perspective for the idea, human-sized problem, that I missed my moment? Well, the God-sized perspective is God has an appointed time. How many of y'all are still believing God's appointed time? God has a set time where he is going to move, not chronos, but kairos timing. And today I want to deal with something that I think is very important. It's a human-sized problem, and it's a problem that the 13 assassins dealt with. More personally, it's a problem we deal with all the time. Here's part two of views. This is the human-sized problem, and it's the title of our message today. I'm outnumbered. I'm outnumbered. Now, if that's you, I want you to type that in the comments. I'm outnumbered. Have you ever been in a place where you are outnumbered, outgunned, outmanned. Have you ever been in a physical confrontation? I know many years ago, y'all are saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. Y'all not getting into physical fights. I know that's not the truth. But here's the thing. Maybe when you were younger, maybe when you were in your schoolyard days, you approached some enemies and you realized that you were outnumbered. Maybe there was only a few of you and there was a lot of them. And you looked around and you said, you know what? I see we're outgunned here. Perhaps you've been challenging people or you've been confronting them and you're starting to see that there's an overwhelming support for what they believe. There's an overwhelming support for their practices, just or unjust as they may be, and you realize that you're speaking to a crowd of people who oppose you. 
You're outnumbered. You're outgunned. You're outmanned. Perhaps you're standing for truth or standing up to do some things that maybe you even feel would get you in trouble. Perhaps you're a young person and you're standing up for the least of these. Perhaps you're a little bit older and you're standing against someone who has power and authority and might and resources and you're looking around and you're saying, I'm outnumbered. And perhaps it's not a physical confrontation at all. Perhaps it's not a confrontation against a person. Perhaps it's a confrontation against a situation. Maybe you're looking at your finances and you're looking at your bank account and you're saying, all these bills are outnumbering my finances. Maybe you're looking at your opportunities and you're saying all these things, these obstacles are outnumbering my opportunities. Maybe you're looking at your future and saying all the things of my past, they're outnumbering the promise of my future. Whatever it is, we all have felt the idea, the feeling that we are outnumbered. But I have good news for you. This is the God-sized perspective for your human-sized problem. Yes, you may be outnumbered. Here's the God-sized perspective. God specializes in the arena of the outnumbered. God specializes in the arena of the outnumbered. I have good news for you today, church. No matter what it is that you may feel you are facing, no matter what it is that you may be approaching, no matter what it is that looks like it is greater than you, God specializes in the arena of where you are right now. God specializes when it seems as though all the world is against you. God specializes when it seems as though you don't have the sufficient resources to accomplish his purpose and his plan. God specializes in the times when it seems like everybody has opposed you and pushed you back and you're looking up and you're saying, God, how am I going to get through them? God says, I'm here and because I'm here, I'm going to conquer your human-sized problem of being outnumbered by specializing in the arena that you're in. That's good news for you because my God stands with those who are outnumbered. My God stands with those who are marginalized. My God stands with those who are weak. My God stands with those who seem to be powerless or voiceless. God specializes in the arena of the outnumbered. And this is why it's so interesting for us to say this. It's interesting and it's important for us to say this because it reminds us that just because things look like a certain way, just because things look like we're outnumbered, doesn't mean that God fights the way, the same way as our enemies. God does not use the same battle strategy that our enemy uses. You know, when you ever go into a confrontation, you want to have the most resources. You want to have the most people. You want to have the most popular consensus and opinion. You want to have all the things on your side to stack the deck in your advantage. God doesn't operate like that. Quite the contrary, God fights differently. Just to give you a few examples, God calls a young shepherd boy named David and says, I want you to fight the seven, eight, nine foot giant named Goliath. I want you to go out and fight him and not use the same weapons that he does. God specializes in this. God's plan of attack for the battle of Jericho in Joshua chapter five. What is it? He says, walk around the wall and then have a praise break. And then I'm good. I got you. God specializes in being outnumbered. What does Jesus say? Okay, cool. You're going to kill your boy. All right, that's fine. You can kill me. And three days later, I'll rise from the dead. God is saying, wait a second here, just because it looks a certain way in the natural doesn't mean it's really that way because I'm involved. And because I'm involved, I specialize in the arena of the outnumbered. And I hope that's good news for you. Even before we get into the exegesis and the points, I hope that you can affirm the fact that God, he is on your side. God is for you, even when it looks like all the world is against you. That's good news. God specializes in the arena of the outnumbered. And so here's the thing, if we're going to believe that, it's easy for us to say that. But if we're going to actually believe that, then it requires for us to understand and comprehend God's battle strategy. 
requires for us to take a step back and say, how does God operate? How does God fight against the enemy? How does God deal with the fact that it seems as though we are outnumbered? Well, I think there are a few things, four things in particular, that God likes to use. And I think we find this in Judges chapter 6. We'll be hopping back and forth between Judges 6 and Judges 7. And Judges 6 and 7, it really tells the story, a popular, familiar story of a guy named Gideon. And Gideon is known as one of the judges. Now, just so you guys know, the judges are a group of people who act as temporary leaders or champions that can deliver the Israelites from oppression. Now, here's the thing that's very important. In Judges chapter 6, it says in verse 6 that Midian, who was the occupying opposing force, had so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Gideon had so oppressed them, had so beat them down, had so taken so much of what they had earned and so much of what they had developed on their own that it seemed as though the Israelites would be left with nothing. Here's, this is for free. It's not even really in my nose, but I just want to say God opposes oppression, okay? Let me just say that. God opposes oppressive tactics and actions and strategies and rulers. God opposes that, right? He opposes it so much that he says, even though you put yourself in this position, that's what Judges 6, 1 tells us, that even though the Israelites have put themselves in this position, that now because Midian was oppressing them and because they cried out, God, we're outnumbered, God said, I'm going to send someone in and I'm going to send someone in to deliver you. Now, this is good news. God, you're going to send a champion. You're going to send a warrior. I can't wait to see who God sends. You know, sometimes we pray that prayer. God, I know you're going to come through for me. I can't wait to see how you're going to come through. Great. Be careful, though, because sometimes God picks, number one, an unlikely servant. Sometimes God picks an unlikely servant. You see, you can tell a lot about a leader by who they choose to fight with them. You can tell a lot about someone's confidence by who they pick on the playground. You know, when you go out there and you're playing basketball, we're playing a pickup game, and then someone comes on, they're tripping over themselves, they got goggles on perhaps. You know, we're not going to pick them. They're not going to be our first-round draft pick. They're not going to be the people that we say, oh, yeah, I'm going to get, no, I'm going to get the 6'6 guy that I know can dunk. I know he can windmill. I know he can do a 360. I know he can pass behind the back. I'm going to get that guy because he looks like he would be a better leader than this other guy. And God does something really interesting. He chooses a guy named Gideon. And if I'm honest with you, Gideon is not the one who God should have chosen. I mean, really, let's just be honest here. If God was picking on the playground, Gideon would probably be one of the last picks. Gideon ain't the guy I would have chosen. Gideon is not the mighty warrior. Gideon is not the guy who's going to rise up like Leonidas and lead people into the army, lead the 300 in. Gideon is not really that guy. You see, but God saw something in Gideon that Gideon didn't even see in himself. God saw that even though Gideon is unlikely, even though Gideon is not the type of servant I would have normally picked, Gideon is perfect for me, and Gideon can't believe it. Gideon is convinced that God is making a mistake. In numerous verses, he asks, are you sure? Are you sure you got the right Gideon? G-I-D-E-O-N, are you sure you got the right guy? Are you sure it's me? Because there's another Gideon about three cities over. I know he's cool. He can kind of lift a little bit more than I can. He's probably well-spoken. He probably has it together. No, Gideon found himself in a place where God had chosen him, even though he didn't think he was worthy. Has God ever chosen you for something, even though you don't think you're worthy for the task that God chose you to do? Has God ever called you to do something that you feel like is too great for you? 
Has God ever called you to stand up to something that you feel like you are not qualified to stand up to? God specializes in picking unlikely servants. So why did God choose Gideon? Look at Judges chapter 6, verse 15. This is really interesting. Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So so here, there's levels to this, right? You got to understand this. So Gideon isn't just weak and unimpressive on his own, but his whole clan, his family, they weak too. So he's weak, and then the levels are so deep that he's a part of a weak family, and then he's the weakest in his weak family. So Gideon is like, I'm the least of the least. I'm the most unlikely. I'm the least likely to succeed. And God looks at him and says, no, I've called you, son. I've called you to liberate my people. And here's the interesting thing. The very thing that Gideon thought disqualified him from God's service is actually the thing that qualified him the most. Did you hear what I just said? The very thing that Gideon thought disqualified him from God's service is actually the thing that qualified him the most. Can I help you with something? Write this down. God picks servants based on humility, not ability. God picks people to lead based upon humility, not ability. You see, some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we're too successful to be used by God. You ever met somebody who was too successful? They were so successful. They were so gifted that they forgot what it was like to struggle. They were so saved they forgot what it's like to be strung out. They were so free that they forgot what it's like to be bound. I I know you think that your success is going to make you more attractive to God. I know what you think is your success is going to make you more palatable to God. God can choose you. God can use my might and my strength and my degrees and nothing wrong with all that. But the reality is, if you think that's what qualifies you for God's service, I got some bad news for you, baby. God is not looking at your qualifications and your ability. God is looking at your humility. Gideon remembered where he came from. Do you remember where you came from? Do you remember your testimony? Do you remember where you were when God found you? Do you remember what people used to say about you? Do you remember who you really are? Not who you are after the globe, who you were way before the globe, who you were way before when you were struggling, who you were way before when you were broke. See, some of us are so successful that we're leaning on our success and saying, God, use me. And God says, I don't need your ability. I need your humility. God needs a humble unlikely servant, someone who can say, God, I know I'm not the best. God, I know I'm not the most qualified, but you put something on the inside of me. And if you put something on the inside of me, then I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I can stand up in confidence knowing that you are greater than whatever I am facing. God chooses unlikely leaders. God doesn't choose like we choose. God doesn't use schoolyard psychology. God chooses unlikely leaders. But skip over to Genesis or Judges chapter 7, excuse me. Skip over to Judges chapter 7. And in Judges chapter 7, this is really interesting. God tells Gideon to grab a group of men. He says, now you're going to confront the forces of Midian. And in Judges chapter 7, verse 2, very interesting. The Lord says to Gideon, you have too many men. You have too many men. Now, I don't understand this. He says, you have too many men. And then the next phrase, he says, I cannot deliver Midian into their hands. Okay, God, help me understand here. First, you choose an unlikely servant. Then, point two, you give an unfair advantage. Unlikely servant, unfair advantage. 
Now, this don't make any sense to me, Jesus. You see, I understand that you say it's an unfair advantage. I agree with you. It's an unfair advantage for them, not for us. You see, scholars tell us that Gideon starts out at his highest with 32,000 men. 32,000 men. Now, to the uninformed, this seems like it should have been enough to put a whooping on Midian. It seems like it would have been enough. You give me 32,000 people doing anything, I feel like I got an advantage, right? That's a football stadium filled with people. Come on, I'm ready. Where are we going? What are we going to do? Only problem is Midian, they got 100,000 conservatively. Some people say it was twice as much. Some people say it was a little bit higher. Other people say maybe it was a little bit lower. Let's just average it out to the mean of what people agree with. 100,000 men, 100,000 troops. Judges chapter 7, verse 12, it says, The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, get this, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Hear me. Think about how outnumbered this is. Your camels got us beat. Your camels got us outnumbered. Your vehicles got us on the ropes. Gideon is not just outnumbered, but then God says, no, I need to give you a greater, more unfair advantage. I need you to acknowledge the fact that you have too many men. Why? Why does God say this? Come on, God, help me understand. Why is it that we have too many men? Why is it that you're saying that I can't deliver Midian into your hands? Watch this, the end of that particular verse in Judges chapter 7 and verse 2. He says, because Israel would boast against me, my own strength has saved me. My own strength has saved me. Now, some of us, if we're watching certain movies or if we watch certain, even I'll just tell you, 13 Assassins. When you watch 13 Assassins, what you can tell is that the head of the Assassins, he has some great battle strategy. He has some really impressive ways of doing things. He has some things that are very, very clever that, that really catch the enemy off guard. And even though they're completely outnumbered, he's able to do some things and pull some strings and set some traps that they're not expecting. And sometimes what we think is, okay, God, I see why you put me at a disadvantage. You really want me to show off. You really want me to flex on them, huh? Okay, I got you. No problem. I'm going to use all my might, all my strength. All my ability, all my education, all my resources, all my money, I got you, God. And here's the reality of the matter. Can I help you write this down? Your strength is not the measure of God's capability. Your strength is not the measure of God's capability. There are so many of us that feel overwhelmed and outnumbered by life's trials, convinced that because we don't have the money in the bank or the credentials or the accolades, that there is a reason why we are outnumbered and we can't defeat our enemy. But here's the reality of the matter. Write this down. This is very, very interesting. You need to remember this. In the kingdom of God, you are most dangerous when you're under-resourced. In the kingdom of God, you are most dangerous when you're under-resourced. Now, don't get me wrong. If you got resources, that doesn't mean you just throw them away. If God bless you, that doesn't mean you just put it down the drain or flush it down the toilet. No, but here's what it means. You're most dangerous in the kingdom of God when you're counted out. You're most dangerous in the kingdom of God when you don't have everything that you need. You're most dangerous in the kingdom of God when you have to lean on God's presence and you have to lean on God's favor. Because can I break it to you? I know this may be a little bit too much for you right now, but resources don't equal favor. 
Run that back again. Resources don't equal favor. Just because you got a lot don't mean that you're on God's good side. God causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He causes blessings for the righteous and the unrighteous. He allows some people to flourish. And sometimes we get this Western mentality that because somebody got a lot, they must be favored by God. Can I break it to you? There are a lot of people who got a lot and God ain't pleased with them at all. And get this, God ain't on their side. And if they're outnumbered, they're on their own. But I believe God is calling a group of people in the kingdom of God who can say, no, I don't have it together, but I'm dangerous because I got God on my side. I got God with me. I got God who's going to give me his favor. And just because you don't have everything, just because you don't have what you think, just because it's an unfair advantage for your enemy doesn't mean God can't step in and handle whatever he needs to handle. Can I help you with something? Nothing with God is greater than everything without him. Nothing with God is greater than everything without him. Some of us need to take a look at our lives and say, I got too much. I got too many friends. I got too many resources. I got too much money. I got too many things. And we're like, why are we saying that? Because God, if you need to take it away, if you need to bring me back, to the secret place, if you need to bring me back to your presence, God, I'll give it all up if I can have your favor. I'll give it all up if I can have your blessing. I'll give it all up if I can have you on my side. See, we need some people who say resources. Just because we don't have a lot right now doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we don't have God's favor. Nothing with God is greater than everything without him. See, some of you are so frustrated right now with where God has you. You're so frustrated because you're like, man, if God was on my side, then I would have an advantage on the enemy. You already had an advantage on the enemy before you got a dime in the bank account. You already had an advantage on the enemy before you got the promotion. You had an advantage on the enemy before your family expanded. You've always had an advantage because of who was on your side, not because of what you had. Your strength is not a measure of God's capability, man. I need to move on because I'm, y'all about to get me on one here. I'm about to come out this mic. Number three, look at Judges chapter seven, verse three. This is very important. We see an unlikely servant. We see an unfair advantage. And here, I love this. God says, now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. <laughs> okay, anybody afraid? If you scared, leave. He says, so 22,000 men left while 10,000 remain. Okay, great. That's some good math. That ain't bad. Okay, that's not bad. But here's the thing. Remember, 100,000 Midian troops. Okay, that's bad. We in trouble. 20,000 people, 22,000 men just say, yo, we out. We scared. Y'all about to lose. Y'all about to die. We going back home. We going to have a good time before they come get us. And then the Lord said to, to Gideon, look at verse 4. There are still too many. You still got too much. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. Verse 5, there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. Now hold up here, God. Why would you do this? Why are you telling us that we have too many men? Now, this one I don't understand. Now, the first one, I get it. God, you're going to flex. You're going to kill 100,000 people with 10,000. That sounds like good math to me. That's 10 to 1 odds. We can take those odds. One of our guys can take 10 of their guys. Let's do it. Let's go, God. 
And then God says, no, it still doesn't, it still makes too much sense to you. You would still say it was clever. You would still be able to justify it. And here's the thing that I see. Here's the thing that I don't understand. I do not understand why sometimes when we're weak, God allows us to get weaker. When we're down, God allows us to look like we're out. When we're struggling, God allows us to struggle even more. I don't get it, God. Maybe you're looking around and you're saying, hold up, when it rains, it pours. Hang on, God, I've tithed to you. I've served you. I've been loyal to you. I've done everything that you have asked me to do. Come on, God. And now you're going to allow this to happen? Now you're going to allow disease to hit my family? Now I'm going to get laid off? Now I'm going to struggle even more? Now I'm going to lose my friends? Now they're going to talk about me? Hold up, God. Come on. I thought you were on my side. I thought you were with me. And I know there are some people right now who are saying I can identify with that because I've been weak. And now I feel like I'm even weaker. And God is looking around and saying, oh, no, you divested some of your resources. No, I took some things away, but it's still too much. And many of us, here's the thing that I believe. I believe that we shout on the wrong verses. I believe, I believe that we applaud and we give God praise for the wrong things. You see, we praise God if we win the battle. But here's where I want you to get. I want us to get to the place here. This is the thing, an unexpected strategy here. This is an unexpected strategy. When God gets us to the place where he asks us to do something that makes us physically weaker, or when God gets to the place where he asks us to do something that doesn't make us stronger in the natural, we got to get to the place where we trust God so much and we trust God so implicitly that we're willing to say, you know what, God, it's okay, I'll do it. Here's the thing. The battle isn't ultimately about winning or losing. It's about trusting. Let me say that again. The battle is not about winning or losing. It's about trusting. You see, we praise God when we come out the other side of a struggle, not when we obey God in the midst of the struggle. See, we're praising too late. See, I sit down with people, whoo, y'all about to make me go crazy. I sit down with people all the time and they say, you know what, pastor, I don't get it. I I've lost my job, but you know what? I'm still trusting God. I'm following him. I'm believing that he can do whatever, you know, whatever he needs to do in my life. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, Pastor, but hold up, hold up, wait a second. Some of y'all know I do this too. I'm like, man, that's what's up. I'm so excited for you. And they're like, hold up, wait a second here. Hold on, I'm still unemployed. I'm like, I know. My kids are still wilding. I'm like, I know. I don't have what I should have. I'm like, I know, I get it. But here's the thing. You already won when you decided to obey and trust God. You already won when you decided to do what God told you to do. See, some of us, we're so captivated by winning and losing. We're so captivated by what we're going to be perceived as from the outside looking in. We're so captivated on proving people wrong or right. And God is saying, no, nah, it ain't about any of that. Even if you lose, you can still win. Why? Because you've obeyed and trusted me when I told you to do something. See, this is what we don't understand, church. We get so caught up in the cosmetics. You see, there's this, there's this thing in, in basketball analysis. There's this thing in, in basketball analysis. It's called rings culture. Rings culture. Y'all know what rings culture is, right? Rings culture says, okay, LeBron James versus Michael Jordan. Who has the most rings? Michael Jordan. LeBron James has three. Michael Jordan has six. Six rings is better than three. Easy math. Now, don't get it twisted. I'm a big Michael Jordan fan. You might not find a bigger Michael Jordan fan than me. 
But here's the thing. I don't think we need to just say, oh, because he has more rings, because he's accomplished more in this one area that he's better than this person. That's not how the math works. You see, I know it may seem like that, but there's so many other mitigating circumstances, so many other criteria that are involved. And some of us have a, a, a rings culture instead of a redeemed culture when it comes to winning and losing, when it comes to accomplishing and not accomplishing. So all we see is, well, did you get the promotion that you prayed for? Guess not. So guess the devil won that one. Did your kid turn around? Well, guess not. So I guess the devil's winning, right? No, that's not redeemed culture. That's rings culture. That's the idea that you can measure the success that God has for us. That's the idea that you can measure what winning looks like. It ain't even about winning and losing. Can I help you with something? If you're tuning in just for the first time and you're trying to look and see how's New Dimensions doing, welcome, my brother, my sister. I'm glad you tuned in. Stay as long as you like. Prop your feet up. You're welcome here. But can I tell you something? We winning even if you don't see it. We're winning even if you don't see it. Can I take it a step further, church? We're winning even if we don't see it. We're winning even if we don't see it. We're winning even if we don't see the manifestation of that which we thought we were going to see, the way we thought we were going to see it, how we thought we were going to see it, when we thought we were going to see it. We still winning. That's Hebrew boys theology. See, the Hebrew boys looked at the king, said, okay, king, cool, kill us. Throw us in the fire if you need to. But get this, our God is able and our God is willing, but if not, we still gonna serve him, that's winning. Winning looks like even if my people don't applaud me, even if the world don't say, look at y'all, y'all came up, y'all got a building, y'all did everything I thought you were supposed to do, y'all said this, y'all did this, people grew, people said this, God says, hold up, did you obey me? That's what winning is. Winning is if you obey the will of God and trust him. You see, so many of us are more influenced by hip-hop than by theology. You see, Kanye West, he said it. He said, yo, you can't tell me nothing. When? Wait till I get my money right. Then you can't tell me nothing, right? That's what Kanye says. He's saying, I will derive my personal confidence from the fact that all these things in the natural line up. And when all these things in the natural line up, that's when I'll be able to hold my head up high and not allow how you think about me to affect me. So wait till I get my money right. Then you can't tell me nothing. No, that's, again, that's rings culture. That's not redeem culture. You know what redeem culture says? My money ain't right and you still can't tell me nothing. My money ain't right and I'm still winning. We struggling and I'm still winning. Why? Because it's not about what you see in the natural. It's about how I obeyed God. Come here, Paul. What does Paul say? I've learned no matter what state I'm in to be content. I've learned to abase and to abound. I've learned to be rich and to be poor. Why? So what does that mean, Paul? I can do all things through Christ. I'm still winning. That's why the scripture says it doesn't say nay in all these things we are becoming conquerors. No, it says nay in all these things we are more than conquerors. Conquerors. Nah, we winning, church. I don't care what anybody says. We winning. You need to say that. Type that in the comments. I'm winning. You know what? Matter of fact, this was all good. I got another point. I'm going to leave it like it is. I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit. That's what y'all need to hear. That's the last thing you need to hear. You need to rise up and say, I'm winning. Regardless of what somebody says, regardless of what they think about me, regardless of their metrics for judging me, I'm still winning. Why? Because I obeyed God. And if I obey God, even if I don't see it in the natural, I'm still winning in his economy. We winning, church. That's all I got to say. That's enough. That's enough in and of itself. I got a whole other point. The unconventional weapons. 
You'll just need to save that for later. I'll save that for something else. But somebody needs to hear right now. I point to the screen. And I, if I could come through that screen, I would. And I say, my brother, my sister, rise up and win. Rise up and believe that how people characterize you, what they say about you, the metrics they use to judge you are irrelevant. Even if you are outnumbered, did you obey God? Did you follow after his will? Are you trusting God? Well, guess what, baby? You already won. You already won when you decided to follow Jesus. You already won when you said yes. You already won when you stood up for the least of these. You already won. And so, Father God, right now, I pray that you give us the winning anointing, the winning spirit that says it doesn't matter what it looks like in the natural. And somebody knows you're on food stamps right now. And somebody knows you're struggling right now. You don't see a way out. And I feel it so strong in my bones. I feel it deep down into the core of my soul. We're going to win. We are still going to win. Why? Because we have trusted you. God, we have trusted in you. We have believed you. We have operated in confidence for you. So now, God, would you come down and give us the confidence to lift up our heads, the confidence to walk upright, the confidence to do everything that you have called us to do and say, come hell or high water, come the enemy or the powers that be. It doesn't matter. We still winning. Why? Because even if I'm outnumbered, God specializes in the arena of the outnumbered. God specializes in the situation I'm in. So we praise you in advance for what you will do. We don't need to wait for it. We can shout right now. That's why we pray. We don't praise you for victory. We praise you in victory because you have already given it to us. God, I thank you. And I pray you give your people some confidence, some boldness, some swagger to stand up and say, I don't care if you acknowledge it. I'm still winning. We still winning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Go win, church. Go win this week. And I mean that. Well, hey, everybody, this is Pastor Tyler again. Thank you so much for tuning in to the NDCC online worship experience. So if you want to take a step in God, I want to pause here. You know, normally I just breeze through this and say, hey, you can just put home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. But I think there might be someone out there who genuinely wants to have an encounter with God, who wants to make a decision to follow Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hands right now. You can type home in the comments, but right now, first, I just want you to lift up your hands. And I just want you to say, even repeating after me, if that's you, if you say, God, I want to give my life to you for real this time. I want to follow you in everything that I say and I do transform and change my life. Lift up your hands and say, God, come into my heart and save me. I repent of my sins. I repent of the way that I've been going. And I just want to follow you. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for what he's done on the cross. Thank you that he's an alive and risen. And thank you that I can make the choice to follow him. Come into my heart and save me. Transform me. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, we're so excited. We're proud of you. We want to celebrate you. We want to be excited with you and walk with you as well. You can type home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. It means so much that we're able to introduce Jesus to you. Once again, if you did not have the opportunity to give earlier in the service, you can do so in two ways. You can go to ndccpensacola.org and click offerings, 
or you can mail it in to P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. Y'all, I have enjoyed being in your house today. I've enjoyed it. It's exciting. And again, until further notice, we're going to continue to meet online. We don't want to put any single member at risk, but we're just going to value being here. We're going to continue to invest and be patient as we're led by the Lord to when we're going to gather together again. So join us next week for part two of the View series. I'm really excited. God-sized perspective for human-sized problems. I hope to see you next week. And until then, be blessed, be safe, be healthy. We love you so much. Peace.